welcome to A Couple of Goons. I am Walter Hickey, a goon. Joining me today, as always, is Neil Payne, another goon. Neil, how's it going, buddy? It's going great. How are you, Walt? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I saw something really tragic on television last week. We're going to have to talk about it at some point. But um, it was a... I, I mean, wait... Was it tragic or have I been a fan of the, the whole time? You've been a fan of the lightning the whole time. So you're actually time. ecstatic. I'm ecstatic uh, as, right now. Yes. Yeah, right. As we're recording this, this is um, the afternoon of the uh, championship parade in Tampa. So and, you're, oh, I assume, <laughs> in a sun-baked, drunken frenzy like uh, yes. all of the other members of the lightning. I mean, I think that that's just kind of what happens when you enter into the, the zip code of Tampa. You just you immediately get a BAC up to about 0.5 and then you proceed with your afternoon. But I uh, just love that, uh, you know, for the second straight year, we've seen the Stanley Cup be uh, cavorted around on a uh, body of water in a sea dew. Yeah. Which is just about as like, you know, that that's what you want out of a out of a championship celebration in Florida. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the watercraft navigational uses of the Stanley Cup are, are limited at best. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, didn't they have to ask them very nicely to not throw it? <laughs> yeah, after Tom Brady, you know, ruined it for everyone, which is, is sort of his thing uh, with the Super Bowl <laughs> trophy. Uh, they, they asked them not to throw it. But also, they did make a, make a point to say that they had dive teams at the ready like no. the local first responders. No, I'm totally uh, being serious with this. Oh my God. Uh, at, the, at the parade, they've got dive teams that are specifically ready. If the cup does fall in the water to do a recovery operation and <laughs> dredge it back up to the surface. This is amazing. This is the only good sport. I don't know why people don't follow this more often. <laughs> like the it insurers of the unveiling Stanley- new ways in which it is the best sport. It's beautiful. Um, so I guess there's not too much difficulty discussing the team of the week this week. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe uh, I think we could just call it team of the year. Team of the year. Uh, <laughs> team of the year goes to the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, for winning the the Stanley Cup, but also for, I think, being the best team. I think, yeah. you know, this was not uh, one of those situations. It doesn't happen that often, by the way, in hockey. Like, maybe there have been some cases where, you could say like, oh, we're the St. Louis Blues, for instance, the best team of 2019. Not to pick on them, but they were a case of a team that, you know, were sort of Montreal-like in the fact that they didn't win that much during the regular season and then kind of got hot in the playoffs. And they ended up winning the Stanley Cup in seven games over the Bruins. That year, you probably could say the Stanley Cup winner maybe wasn't the best team. They were the team that ended up winning. winning they were the yeah. most deserving team. Uh, but were they the the most talented Probably not, or at least you can make uh, the the case that they weren't. But most years, I would say that the the team that wins the Stanley Cup is sort of the you know the best team, or at least the the team that that beat the other teams that could have made the claim to be the best team. And I think uh, even this year was kind of a case of that, where you had the other contenders that we talked about all year as being the you know for the right to call themselves the best team were Vegas and Colorado primarily. And you saw Vegas beat Colorado head-to-head in the second round in six games. And then Montreal turned around and beat Vegas in six games in the conference finals. So there wasn't a lot of ambiguity of, of saying like, oh, well, you know... They, they got lucky or whatever. It was sort yeah. of like, eh, I mean, it didn't even go seven. Those teams were beaten, and then Tampa beat the team that beat the team 
that beat the team, you yeah. know, if you, if you want to kind of look at it through that kind of transitive property. And Tampa, type like Carolina was no slouch this year. They were consistently rather high in the rankings. Like the, the, their, you know, record this season over their playoffs was, was pretty good. Yeah, weirdly, Montreal was probably the worst team uh, in in terms of just on paper that Tampa had to beat during the playoffs because they beat Florida, which was a team that we kind of talked up as being, uh, you know, a potentially tough out. Beat them in six. Then, yeah, Carolina was seemed like a huge threat. They handled them pretty easily in in five games. And then the Islanders were the one that gave them the most trouble. And they're also, you know, were a really good team. And we talked about them at length as being you know, sort of a team that maybe people didn't talk about enough. They kind of forgot about them. And then it's yeah. like, oh, hey, it's the conference finals again. Here here are the Islanders. <laughs> uh, and they pushed the Lightning to the brink. So, you know, the, those were three teams that were really tough teams that they were able to beat on the path to facing Montreal, who took out, like we said, uh, took out three tough, t- especially, you know, Vegas, but also Toronto on paper, again, seemed like, you know, they were very tough out. And then to sweep the Jets, uh, you know, the Jets were were probably the third out of th- the three teams that they uh, beat on the path to the um, to the finals in terms of how good they were, or how well regarded they were. But again, that's not like a slouch of a team or anything like that. Oh, and they yeah. swept them. So Tampa, again, sort of took care of a Montreal team that took care of some legit teams along the path. Yeah, again, I would say an extremely satisfying, uh, you know, first season for me. Like, I enjoyed it. Like, I had a good time. The, the playoffs were remarkable the whole time. So it was good. Well, first of all, I think that that means that you leveled up. If you have a sound effect, I did level up. Oh, that's you so watched good. the Stanley Cup. And by the way, did it not play out exactly the way that I you, uh, I was going to say, you fucking called it. You did like <laughs> it was like it was like, you know, like when like you ever watch like a royal wedding or some shit. And then it's just like and then per tradition, naturally, the Duke knocks three times on the door, allowing the princess. <laughs> and like like you were the BBC commentator of the royal wedding. In this case, the royal wedding being. Um, a team from Tampa defeating a team from Montreal in order to win. That's, which is trophy. kind of, you know, almost like the opposite of a royal wedding. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Lady Bing yeah. might have a few d- disagreements with you there. But, but. <laughs> Lady, Lady Bing has lots of it, uh, lots of uh, grievances that she wants to bring up, uh, but she's too <laughs> polite to actually say them out loud. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, it, it uh, it's almost like I've seen like 30 of these things over <laughs> the years. But uh, yeah, it was sort of... Uh, I, I always love, you know, I love two things. I love seeing a team win a championship, and it could be in any sport. I just like that moment where, you know, they they know that they've won, it sinks in, and they celebrate, and then they get to have the trophy. I don't, I don't think there's anything, you know, better than that in sports. And I love championship uh, parades or, you know, celebrations <laughs> like that. And so the, it's it's so weird. Hockey is a, obviously, it's a winter sport. It's the most wintry of all sports Which, happy uh, july arguably. <laughs> yeah well exactly i mean it's july right now but really even in a normal year it would be you know like mid-june or something like that and oftentimes as we talked about in the evolution of gary bettman's uh league uh you know with all the teams <laughs> in in warmer weather places the the championship celebration has been he- for one of the most wintry sports has been held in you know bright sunlight 90 degree plus <laughs> temperatures uh and and people you know just sort of doing water sports with the cup instead <laughs> of 
uh, instead of frozen water. So I, I don't know. I think that there's something, maybe it's just because of the era I grew up in also and did get to see like a number of, you know, warmer weather teams win the cup and seeing guys in shorts go out, you know, to the stage at the celebration and hoist the cup and everything. It's like, yeah, this is how, how things should be. So in that sense, it was also like not abnormal at all to see those guys. <laughs> uh, even Andre Vasilevsky putting the, the Consmite trophy on his head. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> wearing it like it was some kind of pyramidal mask or something. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, it, it is really fun to watch the parades. I know that's an extremely normy sentence to say, but like, I think it is just <laughs> kind of fun to watch a bunch of like people who have worked very hard at something get it, you know? Which I think yeah, is like they, the very structured sports it. that makes it good. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. You know, it's like seeing people just, you know, not really give a shit anymore. I guess uh, Nikita Kucherov started that early in his post uh, game uh, <laughs> press conference after game five. Uh, but really just seeing people that are just like, you know what? This is our day. This is our week, whatever it is. And we can, you know, be go as crazy as we want. Yeah, it's great. And yeah, again, it was just really great watching your genuine play-by-play like happen as it happened like they all crowded around the goalie and then they all got behind the goal and then there were a bunch of sad montreal people still on the on the ice and then eventually they got it together and then they shook hands it was just call for call shot for shot nailed it hey you know it's uh yeah and, and hockey i think is one that has maybe more of a commitment to that um tradition than other sports like there is this like rigid tradition of things whereas other sports they kind of make it up as they go i guess there's like some common elements like you know you know roger goodell is going to go up and you know give all the credit to the owner of the team and then maybe tom brady uh and and (laughs) no one else uh after the super bowl but yeah there's there's a lot more variability i feel like in other sports about how they celebrate yeah, I feel like, like, again, like we've referred to like the hegemony of Batman, but like I feel like many other sports are also like very much defined by whoever's currently running the show and their their preferences and things like that and willing, willingness to change that. Whereas like, again, like it seems like hockey has been around just for so long that you kind of have the appeal tra- to tradition that can overcome whoever's kind of overseeing the day to day. And those were like, that's probably some of the lone things that Bettman didn't change, didn't radically overhaul when he came into the league, because again, he, he changed so many things so quickly that, uh, the traditionalists got very upset about it. Um, but he, he could not change. And, you know, they did add a new tradition, which was booing him. Although I felt like the booing was a little bit more subdued, uh, this year than in years past, which was a little disappointing. Uh, between that and last year when there were no fans to boo Bettman, I, I get the sense that he, you know, he's going to get used to not getting booed, which we can't <laughs> really allow to happen for any extended yeah. period I feel of like time. The man time must that, be booed. He must be booed. People like, again, like you can't have one of these, like, like, I don't know. I feel like the NHL doesn't have this problem, but other leagues do where it's like one of two things, either like everybody sees, like I think that football has this problem in large part because of fantasy football and this, and the like appeal of that where like increasingly you have people who are fans of the league and the people who own the organizations rather than fans of the players. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I feel like that is like not a thing that I've observed within the NHL. I don't think that there, there are people who like see themselves as GMs as much as they enjoy the players. Right. Yeah, I, I think that that's probably true. I mean, you definitely have um, some armchair GM types sure. uh, on Twitter <laughs> uh, and all of that. 
and in, and and in some cases you have armchair GM uh, broadcasters that inexplicably get jobs with teams like Pierre Maguire. But aside <laughs> from that, yeah, I do, I do feel like there may, might be a little bit more of a genuine sort of um, love for the players and sort of realizing. I, I just think hockey players are very fun and engaging, and the fact that you know they're it's always you know people that cover sports always say that hockey players are among the most sort of the nicest the most uh easy to deal with athletes in sports and maybe it's because hockey isn't as popular as the other sports and they don't make as much money uh and and they're disproportionately canadian uh that probably has something to do with the politeness but that just that hockey players seem a lot more sort of down to earth than than their equivalents in other sports i will say also that like i think that hockey is definitely far more global at least in the nhl like there are people from all over the world and that does kind of require some sort of like uh comedy towards your uh (laughs) towards your teammates and and in a way that like you know, baseball is to a lesser extent, I think, a very global thing, at least in the States. But like football is not like football has like the, the number of people drafted from Europe in, in the in the NFL is minimal, whereas in the NHL, it's substantial to an extent. Yeah, that that's also a great point that um, football is is very American and like, you know, to its core, uh, they even call it American football in yep. some uh, sectors. Uh, yeah, whereas hockey is more global, basketball is becoming more globalized. Yes, and true to that. And you've got yeah. a lot of more players from uh, the rest of the world. And then, yeah, baseball, you know, there there is a large uh, international contingent among the players, but in terms of where the sport is popular, it's still definitely a lot more limited in terms yeah. of the number of countries. You see, like, like large US, Latin American, Caribbean. Cuba, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, Caribbean countries and Latin American countries and then Japan. And there's like a few other ones in there, but really it's, it's kind of, you know, it's not, it doesn't certainly doesn't have the broad appeal of something like soccer, but even like the, uh, hockey has a lot more in common in terms of the international appeal with, with soccer than any of the other American sports. Uh, I would, I would think basketball is probably in the conversation, but only recently and only because they've made like really concerted efforts to try to kind of grow the game outside the U S. Yeah. It does seem like, you know, like, this weekend was obviously a fairly substantial one for soccer as well. And it was interesting to see, like, it is always like fun to be like, Oh, like people who can be teammates at the professional level, but also compete on the national level. It's always like, that is a cool thing that really it, you know, to the extent that we have it, it is just kind of soccer and hockey too, too. Like baseball was an Olympic sport for a very long time. If I recall, like it just like, there is a a cool global component that I at least enjoy a little bit. (laughs) Like, and that means the Stanley cup is going to make its way around the world soon. Travel the world. Where's it going to go? <laughs> it's going to go uh, certainly to Russia, you know, yes. between uh, uh, Vasilevsky and um, Kucherov. Uh, there, there's a number of Russians on uh, Sergachev uh, on that team. Uh, and then, yeah, it's just going to go all over. I, I love to hear the stories about, you know, they, they usually come out after the fact. Uh, but you know, whatever they end up doing, I'm sure we'll get some stories that we can talk about in the (laughs) off season. That's fun. It's going to be a short off season too, which is kind of sad. I, uh, I wonder what happens. I mean, hopefully there's enough days, uh, you know, packed in there still for like all the people associated with the team to have their day with the cup and then they can kind of give it back, uh, uh, like a normal year. Uh, but certainly there's fewer days to work with, um, this off season than a, than a normal off season. 
Yeah, you can almost see maybe like players get dibs first, and then like even when the season starts, they can still mess around with it. But yeah, um, well, hey, great season, great playoffs. It is the twenty sixth episode. Do you have a twenty six in mind? Ooh, that's a great question. I uh, neglected to uh, to look into this uh, beforehand, but that's okay because I do have my handy dandy backup. Uh, this is a highly recommended article by the way at nhl.com which is hockey's best players by the numbers they wore which is a (laughs) has been a valuable resource for us throughout this entire process um you know i I might forego uh, you know there's some good options on this list i don't want to not do them justice uh i would say my favorite on the list is probably patrick elias he was uh with the new jersey devils uh for a long time won some cups with them uh, there's also Yuri Letnin, who was a defensive forward or a two-way forward, uh, Selkie type uh, forward for the um, for the Dallas Stars uh, on their cup team. So I, I tend to lean toward the guys that I remember from growing up, but I don't want to not give those guys justice by doing a half-assed version of their uh, <laughs> their their tribute, their unprepared uh, tribute. So. I think we can do like an IOU for them later. We we talk about all the jersey numbers that we missed along the way. Yes, uh, we will have to do that, we, that at some point. We should give give uh, credit to uh, where it's due. But I will say, uh, Yuri Letnin, uh, you know, was part of a championship celebration in a warm weather city uh, when when he did win with the 1999 Dallas Stars, which was one of, if not the first Sun Belt uh, championship, I would say. Uh, I think it was the first Sun Belt championship for uh, for a Stanley Cup winner. So that's a place in history that you know you know you look now at the Lightning, and this is their third championship uh, that they've won in their history, uh, and they joined all those other teams that we talked about before in terms of the the Southern or Sun Belt teams that that won cups. And they all kind of have the 1999 Dallas Stars uh, featuring Yuri Lettinen to to kind of thank for that. You know, it would have happened anyway because of Bettman's, you know, rampant uh, overhauls to the league. Uh, but th- I think there is something cool about this place in history that that team has. We should, we should do a deep dive on that team at some point because that was a great team. And I loved their arc. You know, um, I grew up uh, a Detroit Red Wings fan in the 90s. And obviously the Colorado Avalanche were the biggest rival. I've probably talked about that every single episode. Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the up-and-coming sort of team that wanted to get in on that rivalry and sort of usurp that uh, and, and face off against Detroit themselves were the Dallas Stars. And I remember thinking in 1998 that the Stars were – sort of the next big thing. They were the the threat to the Red Wings almost as much or more than the Avalanche were uh, because they played in the Western Conference Finals and the Stars had been sort of knocking on the door and trying to kind of, uh, you know, grow into a, a contender. And they finally really reached that level and they played uh, the Red Wings really tough in that series uh, and forced a, a sixth game and then they lost in, in game six. But uh, I just remember thinking like, the stars are going to be a problem after this. <laughs> and lo and behold, they ended up winning the Stanley Cup the next year uh, in that 99 season. Uh, they didn't play Detroit. They actually played the Avalanche and beat them in seven games in the conference finals after the uh, Abs had beaten the Red Wings the round before. Uh, so all like all the collision courses between all these great teams all at once were also sort of a 
they were baked in the fabric of my hockey fandom in the, in the <laughs> mid to late 90s. A lot of people look back not so fondly on that era because it was the dead puck era uh, and, and um, you know, the rise of sort of neutral zone trapping and gra- clutching and grabbing and interference and all that stuff. But at the same time, I just love the powerhouse teams that there were that, that would always kind of face off in the playoffs year after year after year. And so, yeah, the, the 99 Stars were a team that had a nice arc where they, they came up and they sort of lost and then they learned from losing and then came back and won the cup the next year. And Darnier won the cup the next year as well. They, they lost to the New Jersey Devils. And I believe Patrick Elias uh, in in the following year in the Stanley Cup final. So it all kind of comes full circle. Yeah, Elias was on that team. So there you go. We got two for one in our um, <laughs> our episode twenty six uh, patron saints. I uh, yeah, it's a fun one. I like uh, I like all that era kind of stuff. Because so we should talk a little bit. Two things. One is off season. What is that? And then second is off season. What is what are the goons during? Doing during the off season, so we'll do first uh, off season. What what's the what's the schedule? What, like I know that we have something coming up. There's some sort of Kraken draft, which I imagine has something to do with an election lawsuit, but I have no idea. Yeah, and and I think we can uh, try to get some guests on to uh, to talk about <laughs> uh, that draft in in detail because there is a lot to unpack there. So the Seattle expansion draft, uh, that's the Kraken draft. Yes. Nothing to do with any kind of election fraud, anything like that. <laughs> that's not this week. That's actually next Wednesday uh, at 8 p.m. is the expansion draft. But the um, the deadline to submit the lists uh, is, I believe, later this week. There's like, because everything got pushed back. Uh, yeah. Everything is being done on this like insane tight schedule. So I believe we won't know who's protected from uh the kraken's tentacle like grasp uh until july 17th which is uh this coming saturday and then uh they once they know what who they're really working with and of course the the people running the kraken have like pretty educated guesses over who they think each team is gonna not protect uh that they can choose from uh but they'll have that be more official then they can do some interviews around that uh, and then a couple days later, they have to pick who they pick. And then two days after that, so that's on July 23rd, which is uh, next Friday, uh, like the Friday after this Friday, uh, is uh, the first round of the NHL draft. Right. And then on the 28th, uh, which is the following Wednesday, so a lot of things happening on Wednesdays, uh, <laughs> which is the day we usually drop a podcast for what mm-hmm. it's worth. I'm, I'm sure that's related. Uh, free agency starts and you can start signing uh, players. So that's sort of the lay of the land in the off season. And then once that point is reached and there's probably going to be like a flurry of, you know, signings on the first uh, day or two. Whoa, Although there might the flurry's not be. up? Your flurry's going to leave? Whoa. Well, Mark andre okay. Flurry, of course, <laughs> was taken in the expansion draft uh, by Vegas which is uh, another thing that we should talk about next week. Who was he taken is, from? He was taken from the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, yeah. he, he had won the cup with them, uh, and then he was sort of usurped by Matt Murray, uh, and they felt like, oh, we don't, 
you know, we don't need Flurry anymore. He's overpriced. We're paying him, but he's not even our starter. We don't need him to win the cup. We didn't, you know, uh, we, we won the cup with the other guy. And so they left him unprotected and the crack, or sorry, the Golden Knights uh, were like, oh, this is great. We can get one of the better goalies in the league. Cool. Let's do that. Uh, and that was sort of a common theme uh, in the in that Golden Knights expansion draft was because it was the first draft of the free agency salary cap, or rather the salary cap era, not the free agency era, <laughs> that um, teams tried to kind of use the protected list as a way to dump their unwanted or, you know, maybe overpriced contracts on the new kids mm. uh, and sort of say like, well, you can have him if you want. He's still a pretty good player. We just don't have as much use for him or we don't want, you know, we don't want to tie up our cap. And that made, I think, uniquely uh, more talented players available to the Knights than had been available to previous uh, expansion teams. And so I'm curious to see how that dynamic plays out with the Kraken this year, because there will probably be some version of that happening and maybe even more so uh, in the sense that, you know, all the teams did not hit their revenue expectations from pre-COVID because they did not right. have fans in the stands unless you were one of the Florida teams in which you had uh, a disturbing number of fans in the stands by the end of the regular season. Uh, but in any event, so, you know, I think those teams are going to be, if anything, maybe more cost conscious uh, than in the past. The cap isn't going to go up also as a consideration. It's going to stay flat for the foreseeable future as um, revenues start to catch up to, uh, you know, where they had expected things to be before the pandemic. And so all of those things could conspire to maybe make, you know, history repeat itself and have talented players, maybe not Flurry himself again, but Flurry-esque players be uh, available in the expansion draft this year as well for uh, the Kraken. We have a super cool... <laughs> Logo, name, jersey, like there's everything to like about this team as they go into uh, the uh, their first season. So I'm excited to see it. Certainly, I hope for better things for them than happened for my 1999 expansion Atlanta Thrashers, who did not, I guess they barely lasted a decade in the city and then uh, moved to Winnipeg. But God bless the Winnipeg Jets, you know, they deserved it more. Anyway, they deserve the <laughs> hockey team, and uh, they seem to certainly support their team. Their team uh, did not necessarily reciprocate that against the Canadians <laughs> in the playoffs this year, but that's another story. Brutal. Um, so, yeah, I think that what we're kind of looking at in the... So we'll definitely do an episode next week about the draft, and then we're thinking maybe like a couple times a month, you know, and then we'll kind of hit some of the topics that we've been cons consistently alluding to. We have that like Gretzky series that we were interested in diving into. And then we have the, uh, the, uh, the, the great, event. um, the, I keep on trying to remember what it is, but we just keep on referring to it as the event. Uh, so we'll do, we have about not event. talked about it. We've conspicuously avoided talking about it. Conspicuously avoided it. And, and not yes. necessarily for any great reason, just, I think because we wanted to maintain the mystery the mystery of it, yes. Uh, because again, like it just seems like that is worth uh, a little bit of undivided attention. And uh, and yeah, so we'll do some of that. And then uh, October, things start back up, right? Yeah, I don't think we have an official start date, but uh, I know that they're targeting a more normal start to the season. So that would mean October. Uh, and again, that would mean a pretty truncated off-season 
compared with normal, uh, probably about a month shorter. Uh, so yeah, we'll have to see what effect that has on the players when they come back, but that's another round of speculation for another time, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that'd be good. But, uh, yeah. So anything else that you kind of wanted to get in about the season that you feel like you missed? How did, how did your ELO predictions stand up? You think pretty good? You, you acquitted yourself rather well, you think? (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I think ELO you know, it's, it's tough to judge based on just who won. I haven't done like a full analysis of like uh, game by game, you know, Briar score type deal. But I will say that the Lightning were the favorite from the beginning of the season, you know, from probably throughout the first half of this, the regular season. And then they started to be caught by the Knights and the Avalanche. Uh, and by the end of the season, it was kind of a, you know, almost a dead heat between those three. So the Lightning were probably at worst the third biggest favorite um, f- for the entirety of the season. And most of the season, they were the number one favorite and they ended up winning. So it's, it, you know, there, there's there's nothing wrong with that. If, if you can have your model kind of deliver that result, uh, you know, I'm not complaining about it. <laughs> All right, I good. also think the Lightning, I mean, it's worth pointing out, and maybe this is something that we can debate uh with with a guest also at some point but i think you could make a case for this lightning team being the best of the post event uh like uh stanley cup winners or just teams in general uh since then like in terms of elo i uh i calculated this last week they had the second highest elo you know end of playoffs uh elo of any team uh, to win the cup in the post lockout era uh, slash the salary cap era. The only team that was higher was the 2008 Red Wings, which was really a stacked team. Part of the kind of dynasty that the Red Wings had um, during that period of time. So to be in company with that, and then the number three ranked team in that era. So if 2021 Tampa is number two, 2020 Tampa is number three. So they had two That's of the three good. best teams uh, of the post uh, salary cap era in the NHL. So we really you, are looking at what would you attribute a that great to? team? Well, they drafted fantastic. Uh, they made, they really, uh, and I think a lot of this was Steve Eiserman, who was the GM of the lightning and then moved on to Detroit, which was the team that he played for. So in a weird way, he built a team that <laughs> in a historical sense, contended with uh, the, the franchise that he used to play for in terms of, you know, great teams from over the years. He was he was not on the team by 2008. He had already um, retired. Well, relatively recently, um, he, he played one year on the other side of the event. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so he was the GM of the Lightning for a long time and basically drafted all these guys, sort of, you know, set all of this in motion. Uh, and that includes the team that lost the Stanley Cup final to the Blackhawks in, I want to say, 2015, uh, which was sort of the start of this current era of lightning sort of dominance or uh, contention at the very least. And so he, when he left, they sort of picked up where he left off and they've continued to kind of build around that and develop uh, and you know, they just make the right calls. Like uh, they they did move on from uh, Ben Bishop, who had been their goalie for uh, a couple of years and was one of the better goalies in the league. They cut him loose for salary cap reasons so they could keep Vasilevsky or give Vasilevsky the starting job. 
uh, and he was pretty young when that happened. Um, he's still only 26, which is uh, something to remember about him as you see him kind of goof off uh, <laughs> on, the, on the stage and everything is that he's really young. Basically, he's been the best hockey, uh, the best goalie in hockey since like he was 23. Damn. Uh, and he's led the league and not that this is the, like, this is a little bit more of a team stat than anything else, but he's led the league and wins for four consecutive seasons. And during that span, he's finished no lower than third in the Vezina voting. Uh, and he's won once and finished second another time, uh, and finished third a couple times. So like we're in kind of the Vasilevsky era also, <laughs> um, which is, uh, it could could continue for the foreseeable future. Uh, what is goalie longevity like? It's it's complicated. I think the aging curve on goalies is very um, unpredictable. And you have guys that, you know, you have guys that play really well early in their career and then maybe fall off. But those guys have also shown the ability to, to kind of reemerge because their talent is there. And if they're put in the right situation, they can play well again. Uh, you have guys that toil in the minors and then all of a sudden they get a chance and they're like among the best goalies in the league inexplicably in their thirties. So you have like all kinds of weird uh, aging curves that, that play out. Um, So yeah, I think Vasilevsky, you know, and also he's a guy that relies on size uh, rather than, you know, kind of pure quickness or whatever. I mean, a lot of goalies do that now. Every goalie feels like they're like six three, <laughs> um, but he's one of those big goalies uh, in the league. So he might, you know, have the skills to continue to play at a high level for longer than even the average goalie. But again, they drafted him in 2012 uh, in the first round. So that's another case of a guy that they brought in, you know, homegrown and developed, and he has come out as being the best uh, goalie or, you know, co-best, however you want to put Fleury in that conversation because he did win the Vezina. Uh, <laughs> the, as, as Kucherov called him, what's his face in Vegas? Or <laughs> that guy in <Damn>. Vegas. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I think that he's kind of a great example of uh, being able to develop great players and sort of churn them in and out and uh, continue to reload over the years. Because you don't get to have a team this good just on the basis of like one or two lucky drafts. You have to really put in a, a system of consistent kind of player development and evaluation and create kind of a pipeline. And that's really what Tampa has done. Probably as good as anyone in the salary cap era, like even with Detroit, which I mentioned was the other team that sort of could be considered uh, a contender for best team of the salary cap era a lot of the the talent on that 2008 team was a vestige of the run that they had had in the 90s and into the 2000s uh they did have younger players that weren't on all of those teams like uh pavel datsuk henrik zetterberg guys like that they had nicholas lidstrom who had been there sort of the whole time uh and was the leader of that team and and they really really loved to go back to the well and bring in like oh hey here's chris osgood he was our goalie years ago now let's bring him back uh and see what he still has uh so you know they they did that a lot uh and they were able to fit it under the cap because again it was in the salary cap era so it wasn't like they were grandfathered in with like contracts that exceeded <laughs> what you could spend. Uh, but they did, they weren't built 
entirely in that era, I guess is what I'm saying, whereas this Tampa team was. Now, the flip side of that is you could say Tampa played games with the cap, as we have mentioned many times. And so, you know, anytime you're talking about the best team of the salary cap era, the spirit of that is to say that uh, they built a team on a fixed budget. And then you have to maybe put an asterisk on this uh, this year's Tampa Bay team and say, they had a little bit of a different budget than everyone else, but it was within the rules and they worked with uh, what they were allowed to work with at the time. So uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, this is definitely the best team we've seen in a long time. And you know what? We've seen some dynastic teams also. This is like the competition that they've had to deal with are those Pittsburgh teams that won back to back that had Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Uh, and Crosby is probably on the short list of, you know, five best players ever. Yeah. Uh, you, you also had the Chicago Blackhawks dynasty, uh, or, you know, I think it's fair to call it a dynasty, even though they never won um, back-to-back cups, uh, just because they won three times in a pretty confined period of time. Uh, so you look at that, that's another team that you have to contend with. Uh, and I would put the lightning over that team. You know, I think that would be a great series if they played. Uh, and then, yeah, you have those sort of uh, late era Detroit Red Wings um, dynasty era teams uh, in there as well. Well, particularly the 2008 team, the 09 team lost the Stanley cup final. So I don't know if that disqualifies them, Absolutely. but yeah, there's, there's been no shortage of great teams in the, the post 2005 era to compete with Tampa. Yeah, it's it's cool again kind of coming into it like seeing like oh no there's like a genuinely like a, a very memorable and longevity uh team that's that is doing rather well at this time. It is cool because also like, you know, you you just alluded to like Detroit was very good in the it, as recently as like the late 2000 aughts, right? And then uh then like now they're not particularly that good and so like it is kind of cool that like there isn't a Yankees thing in this where like there are, you know, like there, there is change year, year over year and teams move up and down and all that kind of stuff. So it is a, uh, it is fun. And so, yeah. Anything else that you kind of want to get in about our, our dearly departed, uh, habitants? <laughs> no, I, th- I think they had a, f- a fun run. I think it finally caught up with them that they were, uh, perhaps, you know, less talented than some of these other teams. And, uh, but I think the future for them is bright and I'm excited to see, I guess you're not really a fan of theirs, uh, because you're such a diehard, um, Tampa fan. Huge. Does that, by the way, does that rule, uh, carry over across seasons? So now do you have to be a Tampa fan starting next season? (laughs) No, not even in the slides. This was just a little arrangement for the playoffs so that a Rangers fan could enjoy himself. Um, It would actually be really funny if it did carry over into next season, but only until they lost a regular season game and then you became a fan of the team that beat them in the regular season. So it's sort of like their third game. They lost like in overtime or in a shootout to the Calgary Flames or something. And then you'd have to be like, well, I've been a Flames fan for 30 years. You know, just kind of keep it going that way. I So... Number one, sure, I'll do that. That sounds great. Because number two, my favorite type of like sports championship is like the more that I've learned about it, the more I've come to love it is wrestling. Um, is like the belts that go passed from person to person over time just by defeating someone in a title challenge. And like, yes, there is boxing like, also. Boxing is that way. Exactly. So my favorite like thing about that is like you know do you so Rob Gronkowski briefly wrestled and won a belt. Do you yes. recall this? 
And then I remember this. Yes. Rob Gronkowski announced that he was resuming his, his football play. He was going to continue playing football, which posed an issue because he currently had the title belt and they had to basically stage something in his backyard where he got pinned by somebody so that they could retain, you know, the interest in the belt. And so the belt went back into the WWE, whatever churn. Um, but I contend that that was not legal. And therefore, whoever was the first person to tackle Rob Gronkowski during his inaugural season back got the belt. And whoever then con- who beat that person got that too. And so like one of That's these- awesome. So I love that. One day we shall find out who is currently in possession, who is the true, like again, like not to get all like Jacobin on you, but like who is the true heir to the, th- to, to the, to the belt uh, that, that Rob Gronkowski was awarded and then had to surrender back to the <laughs> WWE so that it did not get through, pass through the entire NBA and NFL rather. I love this. This is genius. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we should figure out who that player is that currently owns <laughs> that. The only complication I could see is that when a defensive player tackles Gronkowski, they are probably not going to get tackled that much. That much, because but that's they not zero. They really don't have the ball, but maybe they, yeah, like if they're on they get kickoff pick coverage or, or maybe yeah. they have an interception. You got it. Yeah, fumble recovery, they get uh-huh. tackled. So, yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah, but yeah, I think we should get track that. Walt's. Yes. Yeah, Walt's favorite team of the <laughs> week next season, <laughs> yeah. which is basically it starts with Tampa. Yes. And really the lineage goes back. To the Jets. Uh, to. Right? Was it the Jets or was it the Oilers? Because no, it was they, the, the Oilers who then the was the Jets and then it was the Montreal and now it's, yes, Montreal, that's how it goes. And now it's Tampa. And now it's Tampa. So then, so, yeah, throughout yep. the entire regular season, we should look at who Tampa loses to next and then who they, you know, who they lose to and track <laughs> that throughout the whole season. Yes. Walt's this is favorite Walter's second favorite team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then eventually it will get <laughs> like the titles become aligned when eventually the Rangers win. If the Rangers win, but yeah. like, yeah, it'll if, be they, fun. if they win, yep. If title they alignment. win, the, the titles could be unified. <laughs> yes. The unified title. Amazing. Um, I feel like that's about it for the week. Uh, we'll see everybody next week to talk about this draft that's happening and then occasionally over the course of the summer, but with high quality edited episodes. I promise you that. <laughs> what a uh, concept. I know. Yeah. I mean, listen, Zencaster, good stuff. We can get cool sound effects like this one or like this one or like this one, but that is currently it. And so eventually we're going to adapt to be far more than this. <laughs> It'll be very, very fun. <laughs> but. Um, but sweet. All right. Uh, Neil. I look forward to that day. You do? Oh, that, that means a lot. I, I like that a lot. And then uh, where, uh, where can people find you? They can find me at 538.com uh, where I'll be writing about probably not hockey for a little while, but, you know, they can find other things. And uh, yeah, they can they can go to my GitHub, which has all the stats. And I'm planning to at some point calculate um, the playoff goals above replacement. I was a little negligent in that during the playoffs uh, because it was something of a a pain in the ass to compute. So uh, I'll uh, break down and run that at some point and then post it up on the GitHub for people to play with. I also want to make a change and a tweak to the to the model slightly to the. to the goals of a replacement model uh, to handle defense. Cause I feel like there was uh, there were cases, a few edge cases, but the flyers were one of them 
where you would have a team that had a really bad goal prevention that was getting dinged for its goaltending, which mm-hmm. was horrid, and we talked about that at length uh, during the season. Uh, but then also their defense rated lower than they should have uh, based on you know the sum total of their uh, their goaltending and then how bad their goal prevention was. So I need to make a change to kind of um, fix the the goal ten, uh, the defensive numbers uh, slightly. So that's a known issue. We'll bring it back with the uh, version, whatever this is now, 2.5 <laughs> or something. And that, of course, Since can be the found. first season I calculated it was 2020. Oh, yeah. And we found it at github.com slash neilpain538.com. <laughs> All right, and then I am Walter. You can find me on the internet at places like Insider and at Numlock, which you should subscribe to. And uh, that is the end of this podcast. Bye.